17. As we journey through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, Luke 17. And then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses or stumbling should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. For it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Now take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, say, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And then the apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. Let me add, how could we do that? And the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by its roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come into the field, come at once and sit down and eat? But will he not rather say unto him, prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me, till I have eaten and drank, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did these things that was commanded unto him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all of these things, which you were commanded to say, we are unprofitable servants, or we need nothing, we have done what our duty is to do. Let's pray. Father, if we, we thank you again for a place to come to and to meet, Lord, to be refreshed. And Father, we pray for all the logistics that go on with Samaritan's Purse and planes and ships and we just pray, Lord, that the right box would get into the right hand of that child. And let, Lord, that they would come to a saving knowledge of you. And we thank you for those who pack the boxes and that you would bless them and keep them. So, Lord, that our time today would be blessed, encouraged, and strengthened. In Jesus' name, wait. And all God people said, amen. All right, you're just waiting for it. It's coming. Verse 1, and he said to his disciples, it's impossible that no offense should come, but woe to him through whom they come. Up to this point, Jesus has been in and out of uh, dinner parties, <laughs> speaking with Pharisees and Sadducees and going back and forth and doing uh, an immense amount of teaching in and around the Galilee. And now chapter 17 heads in a different direction. He is now headed south to Jerusalem. In fact, if you are in Israel, they always say you go up to Jerusalem. So now they're going up to Jerusalem from the Galilee. They're going to go through a Samaritan city. Uh, we're going to see that in a minute with these 10 lepers being healed. And as he is going, as he is walking, and as Jesus always does, he now turns his attention away from the religious leaders, away from the crowds, and he focuses his attention upon his disciples. That's the, the bigger group. And because notice in verse 5, the apostles asked this question of him. But Jesus is now focusing his attention at the cross and then giving um, these 
important lessons to his disciples, not as the the world in general, but to us who follow Jesus. Everybody got that? So this is not for an unbeliever because they're not going to be able to understand what Jesus is saying, let alone fulfill it. Amen. You cannot expect Christian values from unsaved people. You don't, don't ever lose your mind and blow up and go, I cannot believe it. Oh, I can believe it. I see it all the time. So do you. But if you're a believer, these words are for you. And if you're not a believer today, get saved, then it'll be for you. Isn't that simple? Then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come or no stumbling or better translated, no temptation. How many of you are living on planet earth? Okay. Half of you are. I don't know where the other half is from. We'll talk to you later. Have you figured out on planet earth it is impossible not to be tempted? It is. And Jesus says, Things are going to happen because A, you're a sinner. B, you live on a planet full of sinners. Things are going to happen. It is impossible that you are not going to stumble. That's another translation for offenses. So it's going to happen in your life. It's going to happen in my life. It's funny because long ago in the beginning of the church, I had this young man tell me that uh, he doesn't sin. And I said, what planet are you from? But there, listen, there is a wave in Christianity that says you can get to a place where you don't sin. Well, that, that's not what Jesus says here at, at all. He just says, listen, it is impossible that no stumbling should or woe to you who cause somebody else to stumble, somebody else to sin. And specifically, he says in verse 2, the little ones or For our purposes, because Jesus doesn't have children around during this teaching, he is is talking about new believers. Don't cause new believers to stumble. Guys, do you know how you can cause new believers to stumble? Tell them they have to have their hair a certain length. Ladies have to wear a certain dress. You have to be baptized a certain way. You have to pray a certain way. You have to do this or that a certain way. That can cause a little one to stumble. Notice he says the remedy for those who cause people to stumble, and I'm all in favor of this since we live next to the sea. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and thrown into the sea. That's kind of violent, isn't it, Jesus? He says that he should offend one of these or cause somebody to stumble. We're going to see today that we have certain things once we become a follower of Christ that we must follow. It's not an option whether or not you get to forgive. Did you see that? That's not an option whether or not you get to do that. So to here, we don't have the option of causing somebody else to stumble. We need to take care of ourselves and not be legalistic with anybody else. Amen. These are, listen, this whole section today is very basic, and I love how Jesus kind of starts the basic out with his guys as they're going to, <laughs> to the cross, that Jesus is going. He did, not heavy. He just simply says, listen, uh, temptation's going to happen, and by the way, if you tempt somebody else to do something, uh, I'll, I'll just put a millstone around your neck. Good? All right, next topic, he says. And he continues this theme, and we will see this kind of teaching 
all the way to the cross. Now he says, take heed to yourself if your brother sins against you because, um, let's go back to verse 1, that will happen. Somebody will sin against you. He says, rebuke him. Now, the word is kind of strong in the Greek. It's a severe rebuking. Uh, Matt, I severely rebuke you. (laughs) Whoa, this side of the room's a little uh, crazy over there. I rebuke this side of the room. Now, the idea is, and it's not letting them get away with it, but strongly saying, hey, listen, this is what happened. We don't ever want confrontation, do we? Anyone like to do that? If you do, I don't like you. I mean, confrontation is nasty. It it can get dirty, and things can be said that you wish you didn't say. However, Jesus says, listen, if someone does sin against you, you need to rebuke them. You need to tell them what they have done. How many of you have done something against somebody else and didn't realize that you had done that in an offensive way to them? until that person told you that you were offensive to them. And I'm not talking about today's cancel culture that everybody's PC. That's not what we're talking about. Just you didn't realize what you did. And then someone came to you and said, hey, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, this was really, this was really bad. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Well, that's what Jesus says here. And if he repents, what's it say? It says, forgive, and Jesus will teach us to forget. Oftentimes, we forgive, oh, but we have a ledger, and we've got that written down. Listen, I want to say this as gently as I can to anybody in the room. If you, right now, have not forgotten somebody's sin, listen, that is baggage in your heart and mind, and it is pulling you down, and it will keep you down, and the the enemy loves that you have not forgot. Our Heavenly Father forgets our sins, and the idea is in in a human way, it, it, it blows my mind. It says, as the east is from the west, that he remembers them no more. How is that possible when you've got the creator of the heavens and the earth who knows all things? I don't know. He chooses not to, to remember. It blows my mind. One of the greatest attributes of God that he chooses not to remember. If God does that about your sin, can't we do that about other people's sin in our life? What they've done to you, and I'm talking to you, you're driving your car, you're listening on the radio, you're, you're at home on YouTube and Facebook. Forget the sin that people have done against you. Pastor, you don't know. Oh, I know, and God knows. It is a quality of life. It will bitter you out. Good English, isn't it? <laughs> it will make you bitter. Man, it will cause you to have all kinds of physical ailments as well. Stress. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and you're like, that that happens like every day. And seven times in a day returns to you and saying, I repent. Notice the emphatic 
you shall forgive him. Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute. In, in case we think that our, our pride gets in the way and look how good we are, we're, we forgive people all the time. Jesus will deal with this in a minute. But notice how many times, and Peter said, Lord, if I forgive seven times, it's like Peter was listening to this and then uh, a teaching down the way he was trying to impress all the apostles because that's what they did. They fought with one another who was the greatest, right? And Peter pulls out, Lord, I forgive seven. And he goes, not seven, but seven times seven. In the uh, 70 times, I'm sorry, 70 times seven. The idea is, Peter, by the time you get to 490, you have forgotten it. Hence, our teaching of forgetting and forgiving. Jesus says here, listen, by the time you get to seven on the day, you're like, whatever. Did you sin against me? I didn't even see it this time. I forgive you. Circle or highlight, underline, shall. This is a command. We have a commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. We are under that, as we will see in a minute. We are bond slaves of Jesus Christ. You don't get to pick and choose if you get to forgive or not. You don't get to pick and choose if you forget or not. You must do that because we are called to do that. We will get into that. He's going to talk about that we are these servants and we must do this. If you are harboring bitterness today, please, by the end of the service, ask the Lord to remove it from your heart and move on. Can I tell you what will happen? A great burden will be lifted off of you today. You will be set free. Whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. Listen, there's a lot of good news in the gospel. And part of the good news is that we get to forgive and forget people's sins against us. Well, then look at the response in verse 5. Uh, listen, at this time the Jews taught, if you forgave somebody three times, you were like super Jew. You got that? You're like, man, you're awesome. You've forgiven people three times? So in their mind, they're thinking, uh, um, Lord, uh, you might want to increase our faith then because I'm not sure we can do this. Increase our faith. And he said, listen, if you have faith as a mustard seed and in Israel, let me say this, don't send any, any letters about the smallest seed. In Israel, the smallest seed is the mustard seed. Um, I think the orchid is the smallest seed. But in Israel, it was. So Jesus knew what he was talking about. Don't send letters that Jesus didn't know about the orchid. He did. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to the mulberry tree, which the Jews taught that the mulberry tree had the deepest of the roots and that if you cut down the top of the mulberry tree, the roots would survive for up to 600 years. I don't know who thought that ever but that's what they taught during this time. Don't you love how Jesus uses the common ideas of the day to present these ideas to us and to help that group of people that were standing there? And so he says, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by its roots. It's got the strongest root system. And he goes, hey, 
If you have enough faith, you just pick that thing right up and we'll plant it into the sea and it would obey you. Yeah, we need to have the faith in God to do the work in our life. It is simply a surrendering of our will and our life to Jesus. Now, he continues because there are those who say, well, you know, I, I forgive people. I've got that I forgive people seven times of day t-shirt and bumper sticker, and I'm all proud because I'm, I'm a great Christian. Look how I forgive. Well, he puts us right back in our place in verses 7 through 10 by saying, and which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, would say to him, as he has come into the field, uh, come at once and sit down and eat. But will he not rather say unto him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drank, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he think that that servant, because he did these things, that he was commanded? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all these things, which you have commanded, say we are unprofitable servants and we have done what is our duty to do. Now, uh, I, I just want to say unprofitable. I don't want your mind to get on that. It, it's a bad translation. It means we have all that we need as a servant. That's what it means. So verse 7, he says, listen, you, you got a servant in the field. He's doing his servant job as a servant would do. He's out into the field. He's tending the sheep. He's, he's plowing the fields. This guy seems to be able to do it all. And when he comes in from the field of working all day, because that's what servants do, they, a servant's job is to make the master or whoever he is servant his life better. And that was the role of the servant. So as he comes in, notice Jesus says in verse 7 that the master of the house says, come at once and sit down to eat. And then he goes on to say, that would never happen. And you know what? That would never happen. In Israel, during this time, or in the Roman Empire, no master would say to his servant, man, you've had a hard day. Why don't you take your boots off, sit down, have yourself a bath, I'll make some prime rib and a big fat potato for you, and then you can binge watch something on the TV. No master would ever say that to a servant. Why? Because the servant's job is to be out in the field and then come in and then serve the master. Notice what he says. But will he not rather say, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink? That's what a servant does. Now, when he says servant here, he's talking about a bond slave, a bond servant of Jesus. This is what Paul called himself. This is what we call ourselves. We serve God. We humbly serve him because of what he did for us upon the cross. And to expect anything else or to say, Lord, uh, that's beneath me, no servant would ever say that. But here is the good news a couple of chapters ago, uh, ago, we read that Jesus said he actually does come to us and say, sit and have rest. You see, under Christ, we have rest in him, Hebrews tells us. So it's different with Jesus, but anything else, well, let's read what it says. And so likewise, when you have done all 
of these things which you are commanded. We are, as he says, out of a religious system, and that religious system was filled with duties, with things that you had to do. Now, in a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no duty per se that you would come out of a religious. It is, I get to do this because of what he has done for me. But I do want to use the word duty because there are things that we need to do. And what do we need to do? Uh, we just talked about it. Forgive and forget. How in the world could you forget that soon? <laughs> You're like, I got to forget because I don't, you don't know the people I've got to forgive. So our duty is not only love one another, love God, not only to give to him time, financial. I mean, we have these duties as servants. But in context of this section, it is our duty to forgive and to forget. You have an obligation. Listen, if you don't want to do that, then don't accept Jesus. It's as simple as that. There is a, there is a contract that we make with God when we accept him. There are certain things that we don't get to do anymore. You and I don't get to frolic. That's a good old word. Frolic and do the things that we used to do before Christ. We just don't get to do that. We don't get to participate in the things of the world. We don't get to act like we used to. We're different now. So as bond slaves, we have a duty to... (laughs) If we call ourselves Christians, which I'm more inclined today to call myself a follower of Christ, if, but if we call ourselves a Christian, people are expecting that we would be Christ-likes, and then when we don't act like we're Christ-like, how are we portraying Christ to the world? So what are they, when they look at you doing something that is non-Christ-like, and, well, if that's what Christ is like, I, I don't want to be a Christian. We have a duty to represent our Father. In the Bible, there's this imagery of the likeness of the children of God. And it's no different in the human world. You probably look like or have some kind of feature from your parent, right? Maybe you got bad feet, bad teeth. Oh, wait, that's just me. Someone, someone in your family had that trait, it's passed down to you, so when you have a photograph, you can see the family resemblance, yes? We need to look like our Father. We have to look like our, our, uh, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We represent the triune nature of God, and we must have those attributes that people say, wow, I would like that. Is that what God is like? When you pack a shoebox, you're showing the compassion and the love of Jesus. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ, is to have a family resemblance to our dad. Notice, we have done what our duty is to do. Can you say that today of the topic of forgiveness? We're going to get into thankfulness in a second. And I love how forgiveness and thankfulness are tied together in this section. 
But this first section is, are you doing your duty when it comes to forgiving and forgetting? That's it. <laughs> like, thanks a lot, pastor. <laughs> but this is the section of scripture today. Have you forgotten or do you still have a ledger? If you have a ledger, burn the ledger. Get rid of it. You'll have a much better life. Amen? Let's talk about some lepers, shall we? Now it happened as he went to, to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and the Galilee. Give me one second real quick. Sorry, I just lost some. Mm-hmm. Did it go back? There I go. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then he entered a certain village there. And he met with, uh, I'm sorry, and there he met 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priest and So it was, as they went away, notice they were cleansed. All of them, all ten were cleansed. And one of them, when he had saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorifying God, and he fell on his face at his feet, at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. (laughs) Wow, because he wasn't even a Jew. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Where are the ten cleansed? But where are the nine? And where where there not found any who return to give glory to God except a foreigner or somebody that is not a Jew? And he said unto him, Arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. When John in his uh, gospel is writing about Lazarus who died. Remember Lazarus, Mary and Martha and Lazarus? And remember how they gave word that said, Lazarus, your servant is sick. Jesus, come quickly. And it says, and he stayed two more days. And then he went to Lazarus, who is now by this time fully dead four days. Remember that? This is in between that. So as Jesus is making his way from the Galilee down, he's coming through Samaria. And at some point, Lazarus, uh, I'm sorry, Mary and Martha's uh, messenger reaches Jesus and yet he stays where he is. And you ever wonder why did he stay where he, this is the scene. This is where he is. He's ministering to Samaritans, which at this point, the Jews not only hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. By the way, have you figured out that Jesus has a name among the Samaritans? Why does he do that? Why is Jesus known among the Samaritans? Anybody? Free mint. The woman at the the well was a Samaritan. And the town got saved. And now there is this movement that's going on inside of the Samaritans. Remember, don't you love it how Jesus called them foreigners? For our purposes, these are now Gentiles. There is this new movement of Christ and the gospel in the Gentiles. 
And so now this scene is playing out where Jesus is headed down to Jerusalem. And listen, no Jew, no good Jew needed to go through Samaria, ever. They went around. They went to Jericho all the way down and then crossed up and came in Jerusalem. But the quickest way to Jerusalem from the Galilee was through Samaria. And so it happened, verse 11, that as he went to Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then he entered a certain village there, and he met ten men who were lepers and stood afar off. Now, a leper would, because of the law, and we don't know how many of these are Samaritans or how many of these are Jews. We don't have that. All we know is that the one who came back was a Samaritan. And it is possible that in this area that you would have Jew and Samaritan mixed if they were lepers because they would typically have a leper colony. Everybody got that? So they would be a site. And, and afar off, they knew the law said that you had to keep your distance. And so you can imagine from a distance, you have these 10 guys and Jesus and his disciples are walking and they cry out to Jesus and they, and notice with me, they lifted up their voices, which means they, at all 10 of them said, Jesus, and then they called him Master, have mercy on us. And so when they, when he saw them, when Jesus saw them, and by the way, anytime somebody called on the name of Jesus for as having mercy, Jesus always stopped and did that which was requested. Jesus wants to give you mercy and grace in your life always. You got you to cry out to him. Cry out to him. Well, I cry out to him all the time. Keep doing it. Have mercy on us. And so Jesus sees them. He sees these 10. And he says to them, go show yourself to the priest. You read that and you go, um, now wait a minute. And if I was the leper, I'd be like, um, we're trying to get healed over here. Why would we go to the priest? You look at a section like this and you're confused. But please don't ever be confused by Jesus because he knows what he's doing. Now, when it says, go show yourself to the priest, in the law, Leviticus chapter 14, I encourage you, if you want some fun reading, Leviticus 14. Here is a chapter in the Old Testament that goes through um, the cleansing procedure of a leper after the leper has come to the priest. Every leper had to come to the priest for a, a diagnosis. And the, the priest would go through, and there was a chapter for that, a chapter to diagnose that you had let, listen, you don't want to have some kind of skin, something else, and then be diagnosed as having leprosy because you'd be kicked out of the city and you'd be banished. So they had this, this long process, this seven-day process of seeing whether or not they had leprosy. And if they had leprosy, the priest would know that. So I want you to, the priests know who these 10 guys are because at some point these 10 guys have come to the priest to be diagnosed. Now, whether or not they wrote their name down, I, maybe Bob, leper, from Aner, Skip, Florence, Longs. I mean, they're writing down their name, right? Because 
there is chapter 14, which is the chapter of what happens when a leper is cleansed. What do you do with this leper? Now, I want you to, 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 uh, to hear this. Nobody in Israel has been healed from leprosy until Jesus. Naaman is not a Jew. Miriam was, but they weren't in the land yet, and there was no temple, and there was no priesthood. Only until Jesus did we start to see lepers being healed. Now, I want you to think about this. Here you've got these priests. They're well-versed in the law, but they don't know anything about chapter 14. And all of a sudden, in A.D. 30, guys start showing up. Uh, what are you here for? I'm here uh, because I'm cleansed of leprosy. Wh- uh, what? What's your name? Um, I'm Bob from Aner. Uh, Bob from, you had leprosy? But yeah, uh, Jesus told us to come to the temple and show ourselves. Can you imagine what the priests are doing? What do we do? I don't know. Look in the law. Chapter 14, no one's ever read chapter 14 because it's never applied to the nation of Israel. I want you to hear this. Caiaphas and Annas are the high priest in the day of Jesus. This, eh, I love to teach this, so this is fun for me. Do you realize that chapter 14 was specifically written for two men? Thousands of years before they were born. Because the point of it is, no one has ever seen anybody healed by leprosy. Therefore, it must be a miracle of God. Let me take that even further. Then, therefore, God himself must be in the midst of his people. So, can you imagine these guys? I mean, like the pages were stuck together because they've never opened it. They didn't have pages. They had scrolls. Don't send me a note. So now these guys, and remember, these aren't the first people healed of leprosy. We've already seen that. Their role was to go to the temple and to show themselves. Why is that so important? <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Yeah, we're waiting. Why? Because you have the two high priests whose sole responsibility is to bring people to a relationship with God. They have failed in that. There's hypocrisy. There is corruption inside of the priesthood. But now there is proof on planet Earth that Messiah is who he says he is, Jesus. And they want to do what to him? They want to kill him. They don't want to embrace him. They want to kill him. So when they stand before God at some point, and go, well, it's not fair, God, I didn't know. And he's going to say, how many lepers did I send to you? You guys, Annas and Caiaphas, how many did I send to you? I don't know, 35? And you still rejected my servant? Do You see, it's very powerful. So when you read, by the way, you don't know that because that's the behind the scenes of go show yourself to the priest. That's a lot to say, but you got to know that or you don't know why he's saying go show yourself to the priest. I mean, I wish it was go show yourself to the priest, Leviticus 14. Then we'd all know what he was talking about. So he simply just says, now the other leper Jesus touched, by the way, who was healed, 
But here, Jesus just says, go, your, go show yourself to a priest. What is he expecting from them? Well, we'll see in a minute, actually nothing from them for the initial healing, but then he is expecting something in a minute. And so it was when they went. So it was like, hey, go show yourself to the priest. It's all right. And they turn and head in that direction. Now, can you imagine these 10 that have been living together for a while? What? Bob's got a nose. Your fingers are starting to come back. (laughs) Hopefully they didn't smell like they used to there. A complete cleansing and healing. Remember, leprosy is a type and a picture of sin in the Bible. And how we become numb to it and dead to it and pieces fall off of us and we smell like death. And at some point, when we cry out, Jesus have mercy on us. Isn't that good news? You'll be cleansed. And every time we see a cleansing of leprosy, it's a full cleansing and it's immediate. Um, there's a wonderful movie, Risen, uh, that's been out for, for a few years. It's by far one of the best uh, biblical movies um, about the risen Christ. And at some point at the end of the movie, when they're showing the disciples and this Roman centurion there at the sea, and Jesus is making breakfast for them, remember after they were fishing all night, and he says, he says, uh, children, throw your, your net on the other side, and it was about to break, and then Peter, it's the Lord, and John, and they, ju- they jump in and go over there. Well, they're all sitting there having breakfast, and this leper starts coming out who's just wanting to beg. And I love this scene because these disciples are not transformed yet totally. They don't have the Holy Spirit. And they're throwing rocks at the guy, you know, get away because he's a leper. And what does Jesus do? He gets up. He walks over. He gets down. And he embraces that which everyone else rejects. And then you don't see the guy because he's still in his And he walks away, and right at the end, he turns his face, and his face is completely healed. You see, that's what Jesus does. He completely heals us. Oh, are we going to have offenses and temptations like in the beginning of the chapter? Absolutely. But once you cry out to Jesus to have mercy upon us, he will, and today still does, heal. Well, let's finish, shall we? Notice, they were cleansed. And in the Greek, it literally means completely healed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice. What is a loud voice? By the way, we get our word megaphone from this guy. That's a loud voice. And what is he doing? He is glorifying God, and in a minute, he is on his face thanking Jesus. I was thinking about this this morning in my office, and I was thinking, wow, Lord, how many people, even though they are cleansed inside of the church, don't have the heart of this one? Oh, 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 they're happy they're not going to burn in hell. But how thankful are they? Really? Because this person, he got his megaphone on. And then... 
he got down on his face. And notice, he got on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And let me add this, because he was a Gentile. And now he gets to come into the kingdom of God. He's healed, and he realizes exactly what God has done for him. Okay, I'm sure most of us is full today. We've got way too many. You're like forgiving and forgetting. I got that over here. And now you're talking about this. Listen, how thankful are we for what God has done in our life? Truly. We are to give thanks all the time for what he has done. Do you know where you were going without Jesus? Some of us would be not only in jail, but probably dead. Sam, right? Because if Christ had not shown us mercy, we would have destroyed ourselves. Because that's what sin does, and the enemy wants to steal and to destroy. This is good news. And Jesus asked these questions. Please just note these quick questions. He says, <laughs> were there not ten? But where are the nine? Jesus says that question inside of the church. Hey, I've clenched you guys. Where's the heart of thankfulness? Yes, bad things have happened in your life. I get that. But God can and still does heal. Be thankful for it. Listen, when we're in heaven, we will care not about planet Earth, which is awesome. And when we're truly sitting in the presence of God, it says we take our crowns that he gives us, our beanie hats, and we throw them down and say, worthy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is to come. We, we don't have a care in the world. We will always be thankful. Well, why not start now? Be thankful. I don't have a whole lot. But you're living in the United States of America. Most people have eaten today, driven today in a car, got here somehow, reading a Bible that other people don't have. Be thankful for what God has given us. And he makes the statement, where are the others? Notice he doesn't take back the cleansing. Like, that's it. I'm taking away their salvation. He doesn't do that. They're still cleansed. But they don't get the benefit of standing in front of Jesus and worshiping him. And that's amazing. Because the longer you walk with the Lord and the more you realize who you are and what you came out of, the more you thank God. And I just want to give him everything that I have. And I have this duty then from the servant to forgive and forget. He says, were there not any found who return? Notice, to give glory to God except this foreigner. Listen, God doesn't expect a whole lot out of us, right? Because he knows what he's working with. But what he does expect us to do is to give glory to him for what he has done in our life. He expects us as followers of Christ to glorify the creator of the universe. 
<laughs> I love that, except this foreigner. You have this Gentile. By the way, when Jesus marveled, he marveled at Gentiles, not Jews. He marveled at the Gentiles' faith. And then he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And don't you want to see then the knock on the door? Yes, Caiaphas residence. Another one. And what do they have to do with that? They have to reject that. Because to accept it means they have now have to change all the way they used to live. Why don't people accept God's mercy? Because they don't want to. I know that's very simplistic. They really like the way they're living. And to accept Jesus means we have duty. And they don't want to forgive people. It's like that warm sweatshirt you have. Everyone has that sweatshirt that's 35 years old. And you love it. It's got holes. Your spouse has been trying to burn it for years. Well, maybe it's just us men. We get really comfortable in our clothes. And our wives, there's a reason why our wives have to buy us new underwear. You'll get that on the way home. Men just get comfortable in these clothes. I love that shirt. I love this. It's comfortable. People love. They love that bitterness. They love the fact that they've got something over somebody. I'm not forgiving them. I'm not forgiving. And it, it eats at them and eats at them until eventually... They're that Eeyore Christian sitting on the side of the the church. No one over here. (laughs) That you don't want to be around at the potluck because you know they're just a totally bummer to be around. They're cleansed, but they don't worship. There's no joy. There's no excitement in the kingdom of God. Heavy section, I know. Sorry. Next week, it'll be cut. I think it's going to be a two-parter. We're actually going to dive in the middle of prophecy Because Jesus is going to talk about his return, and he's going to say two things. Well, three things. He's going to say, when I return, it's going to be like in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. So I encourage you to read about that. And then he makes this crazy statement in verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. We will spend time over the next couple of weeks, Lord willing, in this very exciting passage about the coming of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you give us the ability to forgive because of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy that you showed to those lepers and the mercy that you showed to us. We are not deserving of your love and of your grace, but you bestow it upon us anyway. And, Lord, that we would have a thankful heart Lord, that we would have a forgetful heart. Lord, we would learn to forgive every chance we can. We, Lord, we would learn not to be so offended. And Lord, we know that we will face temptation, but I can do all things in Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Thank you, Lord, for the tools that we use to live out this life. So thank you, Lord, for those here.
and those watching us at home and over the radio. We ask your blessing upon this week and upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.